0: Welcome to Roll Call, a 126th Air Refueling Wing podcast of the Illinois Air National Guard at Scott Air Force Base. I'm your host, Technical Sergeant Brian Ellison. The Roll Call podcast focused on people, mission, and community. I want to say hello to our deployed friends. Thanks for continuing to listen. Coming up, we're talking with Daniel Cooper from the Yellow Ribbon Program. First off, like I said earlier, I want to say hello and uh, welcome home, actually, to some of our deployers. You can see pictures of their return on our Facebook page. Also, some of our security forces and our team that went to the uh, 59th presidential inauguration are have returned home as well. On Friday, January 22nd. Lloyd J. Austin III was confirmed and sworn in as the 28th Secretary of Defense. He served 41 years in the United States Army before retiring as a four-star general in 2016. As an outcome of the 101st Air Force Uniform Board, Air Force women will now be able to wear their hair in up to two braids or a single ponytail not longer than I love this. This is like a rule out of the Major League Baseball rulebook. A single ponytail, not longer than a horizontal line running between the top of each sleeve inseam at the underarm through the shoulder blades. I'll have a picture if you're watching the video of this. In addition, women's bangs may now touch their eyebrows but not cover their eyes. These new changes will be effective upon publication of the new standards in Air Force Instruction 36-2903 in February. The board's reviewed the board reviewed all ideas including a recommendation from the Air Force Women's Initiative Team. Thousands of women across the Air Force provided feedback to the Women's Initiative Team stating constraints to hair grooming standards resulted in damage to hair, migraines and in some cases Hair loss. Chief Master Sergeant of the Air Force Joanne Bass said In addition to the health concerns we have for our airmen, not all women have the same hair type, and our hair standards should reflect our diverse force. Unfortunately, Beards for Men did not get the okay. For more information, consult AFI 36 2903 Dress and Appearance.
1: I'm uh, Tech Sergeant Scoggins in the 126th Air National Guard Air Refueling Wing and I'm an uh, Aerospace Maintenance Technician, a Crew Chief. So our job entails mostly uh, on a good day inspections. We get the jet ready to leave and then we catch it when it comes back so we're, we interact with the pilots there and then if they have any issues they tell us we have to do an inspection pre- and post-flight to find any discrepancies and if it's something we can fix on the spot, we do.
2: I'm Lieutenant Pippins, AMXS, Aircraft Maintenance, and I am the Aircraft Maintenance Officer. I am a supervisor of all the crew chiefs, so all the men and women that work hard every day out on the line to make sure that the nine aircraft that we have here at Scott are ready to fly for the pilots. And I just make sure that they have everything that they need so that they can meet that mission every day.
1: One of the biggest benefits from working with the 126 would definitely be traveling. I've got to go to a lot of cool places for free to me. We get to go to Europe a lot. We're state partners with Poland, so we get Poland at least once or twice a year, it's nice. If you are in the unit, I recommend picking up that trip.
2: Uh, Thanks to joining the Guard, I've been able to get my bachelor's in kinesiology from the University of Illinois, and then I got my doctor of physical therapy from Southwest Baptist University. I'm a doctor of physical therapy on the civilian side. I work as an outpatient physical therapist. They're both completely different jobs, but completely rewarding. I work one-on-one mostly in my civilian career field, and then here I'm in charge of 50 people. So it's a much larger scale, uh, but they are both, both provided me so much experience. Hi, we are the 126 Recruiting Team. I'm Master Sergeant Heather Wildy, Recruiting Flight Chief. I'm Technical Sergeant Richard Olson, Production Recruiter. To learn more about career training with the 126, give us a call at 618-222-5701.
1: But wait, there's, there's more. more.
2: Give us a call in the next five minutes,
0: and you could qualify for four years of free college tuition. Mr. Daniel Cooper is our guest today on the podcast. Uh, Mr. Cooper, Dan, can I call you Daniel?
3: You can call me Daniel. That's All great.
0: right, Daniel. Uh, he is the... Uh, Yellow Ribbon Support Specialist. Daniel, uh, I have to ask, I've been in the uh, military a long time. Uh, w- just right off the bat, what is the Yellow Ribbon Program?
3: Well, the Yellow Ribbon Program was actually uh, established like in 2008. And what it is, is uh, we members here, as far as w- we work with the service members of the wing itself. So what we do is we bring the resources and the programs to the military member once they get mobilized for, you know, before they go on the deployment and after they return.
0: So what you, uh, that's a surprise to me. So before they even leave, what kind of uh, support are you offering them?
3: Uh, anything for your education school, things for their families as well, while they're, de- while they're actually deployed. Um, we take care of them. They can actually talk with a TRICARE member as far as the representative for the state. Um, they can talk about getting education as well. Um, and then any other programs or resources that we provide in a pre-status, we will bring all those resources, and they can talk straight to the horse's mouth.
0: So um – uh, probably, uh, probably asking the same question, how does the Yellow Ribbon program help the returning deployers?
3: So once they return, as far as how it is, uh, we, they get different benefits as they get mobilized once they're on status. And when they come off, as far as the orders, we actually find different programs for them as well for the return, like uh, anything that would, can still help with the family, um, anything for the state as well. Um, if they're... if. Once they come off active orders if their uh um, medical status would change as far as what benefits they've been entitled to it then, and then once again with the education as well, they can continue doing any any of that
0: what is the, what is the yellow pr- ribbon program uh specifically is this uh is this just like information like hey here is this here are the things that are you kind of like coordinate a big email and say here here's everything that uh that you're entitled to or is there more, is it more involved than that? So
3: as far as uh, for me as a, 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 I'm an event planner. So what we do is we, we kind of plan a party. So what we'll do is we find out how many people are going to be uh, going out the door, going on deployment. And what we'll do is uh, we kind of change to a regional concept. So what we do is we find a hotel that's suitable to have this event. It's almost kind of like a job fair status where there's tables and people to talk to. So we find a hotel, uh, we find a big conference room area We'll set up different rooms for different classes and courses that they could take and they can choose why they're there. Um, We provide hotel, we provide the rooms, um, we give them food as well. We offer uh, uh, daycare for the children. So they encourages the spouse and family to come because we want the families to come because normally in most of the cases, the spouses have more questions than the military member because they're always there. So we actually, uh, we encourage the families to show up and we take care of daycare. So that way they can feel comfortable and attend this stuff and get the information that they need.
0: That That is a good point because my wife is always asking me questions and I'm like, I, I, yeah, we just do it. I don't yes. know. It's just like, uh, I don't know how to explain it. I don't even know how to explain it. And I'm a, I, 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 And I'm in the this career field. Uh, so what just an example of what kind of uh, when, when we go to an event like this, what kind of uh, things can we expect to or people or programs or whatever can we expect to see?
3: We can have anything that's a uh, part of your local community, your VFWs any of your local schools that will be there. Uh, we bring in uh, cadre member speakers, motivational speakers that come in and, and talk to you that either used to be prior military that kind of been there and done that. So they kind of can feel exactly what you're going through so they can relate to it. Uh, We give them different topics as far as what to speak on. Um, Then we bring in uh, as far as any other resources, they would be TRICARE. Uh, That's usually a big one. We're bringing anybody from the state VA. If people are looking to buy homes, we bring those representatives in as well as far as when they come off. And we kind of tailor it based upon uh, their needs as far as what they'll have. And then that way they can go and talk to them because everybody has their own personal different issues under their own roof. Not everybody has the same cake, if you will. So they can go and talk to them and get the information they need from those resources.
0: What can, because uh, I know, you know, in the National Guard especially, uh, we have members that don't always live in the specific area. I know we have, you know, we have airmen <coughs> in Chicago and Mount Vernon. And, uh, you know, sometimes they're out I know we state. have a couple
3: out in of, of Virginia and California as well.
0: Okay, wow. Uh, so what are those folks how, how do we how do you uh, take care of those folks that might need those uh, services or we
3: pay for transportation so what we do is we find out how far they live and we actually request funds from the guard bureau um, and we, we fly them out
0: how long does an event like this last? Is this, uh, is this like over a drill weekend? Is that, what, is that how this we works? We
3: don't do it on drill weekends because you're on orders on drill weekends. And when you're on Yellow Ribbon, you're on Title 10 orders as well. So you can't be on two sets of orders at one time. So what we try to do is to, to, not, to break that conflict up, we do it on a on non-drill weekend. So it's three days long. Now that we switch to a regional concept, it's now three days long. It's Friday, Saturday, and Sunday. So a Friday is a travel day, all-day event on a Saturday. You need to get a half event day on Sunday, half a travel day on Sunday.
0: What's the difference? What, what are Title 10 orders?
3: I guess these title 10 orders be training orders, almost very similar to the ones you go on your drill weekend, except they're coded differently.
0: Yeah, and, and then you know, you mentioned it earlier. But one thing we have to remember is that it's not only the airmen uh, that go through the deployment, it's it's the family. How can uh, the yellow ribbon program help the family?
3: As far as helping the family, uh, anything that, the, like if the deployed member goes deployed and you have a spouse and children at home, the spouses can, they, they can actually talk with either some of the, the support groups that they may have. if They have questions because some of the spouses aren't comfortable talking with military members in the wing. I've I've come across that too, they're just not comfortable talking to a first sergeant even though it's offered and it's there. So what we do is we find. It's almost like a a hen's club, if you will. There's times where wives' clubs, a wife's spouse's club has gotten together and and formed from this, but it's kind of difficult with the guard because they live so far away and not not as close. So any of the support groups that we have um, that maybe offered them any of the resources we have, we kind of tie them out to that as well. But we give them other options to choose as opposed to the one they don't want.
0: Okay, so, so you're kind of there to assist them during their, the spouses during the deployment.
3: Yes, sir. They can reach out to us as well, and we've actually had events during the deployment process as well. There may be, you know, so we've had, I've had spouses reach out to me say, hey, i got a question about something. Do you think we can have an event for the spouses? Yes, we can. We've just got to get approval from the Guard Bureau to do so and make sure we have funds in-house. And, of course, with COVID, it would be a little different, but it is possible to do so.
0: During the deployment for the, the troops that are uh, deployed, what uh, do, do you have resources uh, for for them, or do they uh, go someplace else for that?
3: Uh, usually, what we'll do is we'll find out exactly uh, how many people would be you know how many people we have for this kind of event, and what they're looking for. Right. Obviously, communication is key. We find exactly what they're wanting, and then we kind of tailor it to that as much as possible. If if it's one one lane, we can actually direct them straight to the resource, and they can go talk straight to them. They can set up a meeting that way as well.
0: You mentioned uh, COVID, what's been your, uh, what's been the, uh, the biggest challenge with COVID?
3: Uh, the biggest challenge, well, since we can't have in-person events, uh, we kind of went virtual kind of like everyone else has. Uh, we created an online CBT style um, uh, the training event where they kind of get the information, but the only downfall is, is they don't get to talk to resources. Um, straight to them, um, so they kind of it's standard military training. They go through and they go through the courses, but we allows them give them credit and it allows them to at least view the information. I mean, like I said, it's it takes the in person place out of it. It's like direct communication gone, so you're looking at a screen. So, not too sure as far as and I've I've taken it before just to see how it works. The information is there. But the people aren't, so it's kind of a disconnect, but we're still trying to keep it, keep it connected, give them the information that they need. And then if they got questions, they still can talk to us. And I always make sure I follow up with them at any given time to ensure the fact that if they got questions, comments, or concerns that they can bring them to me.
0: Is the Yellow Ribbon uh, program mandatory?
3: It is mandatory for first-timers now. So if they've never deployed before first-timers, they have to at least get a pre-event and a post-event. There was a post two event. There's a post one and a post two, which is they had it to where it, it was more redundant. So what they did was they made it optional. So as far as when they redid the regional concept, so it's mandatory for first timers um, to get a pre and a post one. Post two is optional for everybody. Um, and then as far as after you've completed both of those two, you're compliant in the eyes of the Guard Bureau. However, if you were to get put on orders and you've already been there and done that, completed and you're compliant, you have the choice to their tenant uh, event or bypass and say I don't want to do it.
0: Is there regulation that says uh, how soon a yellow ribbon, uh, how soon a yellow ribbon event should be held?
3: Yes, in our guidance that we have, uh, can't don't have the number with me right now, but we do have a series of guidances that show us as far as how often they're supposed to have it. I know the Army. Um, as, once they are compliant, they have to redo the process every three years. As of right now, the Guard Bureau is, doesn't have that kind of repeat timeline. Right, right now, once you're compliant, you're compliant.
0: So the, you said you said yellow ribbon too. Is that that's a couple months after the first yellow ribbon? Is that how that works?
3: Yeah, So what you'll do is you get a pre. So before you go on orders, usually sure. roughly we try to get you six months or greater, depending on when they go. Sometimes they have pre training prior to their orders, so we try to catch them before they go on orders. Once they return, uh, three they have three hundred sixty five days to get a post one event. So they have a year. So there's plenty oh. of time. We'll a working to get there. Uh, normally with the the post two, um, it was pom- uh, it was usually what. 30 to 45 days uh, for the post one, and then six months, uh, at least up to six months before you get a post two. But since they revamped the program, we went a regional concept, you get a before and an after, and then the post two one is optional for everybody. And everybody's pretty much bypassing that because it's almost redundant because it's almost similar to a post one as far as any of the resources that we would have.
0: So we have uh, deployers returning uh, soon. Yes, sir. When will the next yellow ribbon function be held, and where do you plan on having it? Uh,
3: currently, we have uh, one online event from the uh, 10th to 24th of February, which is uh, just a virtual online one. We do have an in-person event from the 26th to the 28th of February in Nashville, Tennessee. Um, So what we do is kind of give them a choice. If they want to do that right now, since we do offer the virtual ones, then they have a year from the orders end date to catch one. They can do an in-person one or they could do an online one.
0: You can't beat going to Nashville.
3: Not for three days, especially when you've been locked up, cooped up, and you want to get out and do something.
0: Right. What kind of precautions are they taking in these uh, these in-person – yellow ribbon programs now that we're in the, in this time of covid and hopefully coming out soon.
3: Uh with any of the in person uh events that we go to, we do make sure we bring security forces at any given time just to kind of scope the area out. We are a bunch of military members in one area, could be a hot target. So we always we do that with ev- every single one, covid or not. We've always done that. Oh okay. Um with uh the way with with, with the covid rules, they're actually um giving us more space. So we can space out um keep our distance that kind of stuff of they taking some of the concept rules of uh, as far as how when they would when we'd eat uh used to be a buffet style they're going to plate our food so kind of kind of wiggle room and it depends on what the state wants since we're going to Nashville Tennessee it's depend on what their their guidance in that state would be compared to what we'd have Illinois
0: so you you are you are in charge of the region is that right?
3: I'm one of the many yellow ribbon in the region. Oh, okay. Because there's three in the state.
0: Okay, uh, so what is this region? Is it Missouri, Illinois? Is it? In there Maryland, is, as
3: far as our region, it's a southwest region or southeast region. It covers from Texas to Louisiana up to Illinois. I believe we have Iowa. Goes on down to Florida, down to Mississippi. So it's kind of a weird region. There's yeah. three regions breakouts. out. There's the West Coast. There's the East Coast and the Midwest.
0: Oh, okay. Just to reiterate. This one in Nashville that's coming up, you will, you are going to you. The Yellow Ribbon program pays for their, they pay for everything.
3: We pay for everything except mileage in your car and time you watch. Yes.
0: <laughs> well, I mean, we cover all
3: costs, and it's yeah. everything's reimbursable on the back end once you return and file your file your voucher.
0: Yeah, I mean, yeah, yeah Yellow uh, Nashville is only three hours away. Ish. Yes. Sir. Ish. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. When do you expect the next Yellow Ribbon to be here in, the, uh, in Illinois or maybe the southern Illinois?
3: Uh, as far as the state, as far as how it's done, NGB works with our regional managers, and they decide as far as where we're going to have it, okay. as far as a centrally located area. It also, since it is a contract deal, it depends if we have the space to house up to 750 people. That's normal out of COVID. Um, in the COVID area, as far as the numbers, we just kind of have the same space. But now we cut the numbers of people showing up in half. So in Nashville, instead of 750 people, that was our cap max. We're going to be down to 350. So it gives us space and room to operate.
0: That's good. How often, I don't know if you talked about this already, but how often uh, do you have these yellow ribbon programs? Because we also have people that are onesies and twosies (laughs) that go off to deploy.
3: So to kind of cover the gap of the onesie twosies, we have one like every month. But it's in different regions. So, if we ha- if they're a pre and they're brand new first-time deployers, they get, we, we will send them into a cross-region to catch an event so they can kind of get that. For a post, we just wait for one of them to come back around in our region because they have a year to catch it. Okay. So, we will cross-region if we have to to catch a pre to make sure they get their resources and get the information.
0: How often uh, do, does this region have, have a Yellow Ribbon program?
3: Uh, since there's three regions, once every three, four months. Oh, okay. So, so it's, yeah. I mean, right now Nashville's a good site because it houses a lot as far as what we need. We're looking for other areas. I mean, we've only been doing this regional concept since December of 19. Oh. So if we just kind of barely had a year to get started before we got shut down for COVID.
0: So you've been in the military uh, 22 years. You were telling me how how have you seen how has the, how has the yellow ribbon helped the returning deployers, or how do you have you seen the, that this help uh, returning deployers? Yeah.
3: Well, once once people do go deployed, things change. You know, as far as before they left, when they went over, everybody has their own issues, um, and but helping them once they return, um, they may want to retire. Uh, when they come back, they made some some life choices may have been either adjusted, chosen for them, um, or just they're looking to do a fresh start, things happen when you have that moment of clarity when you're deployed. So things change, uh, whether it be a, a life change of of, of spouse, um, extra child, things of that nature. So we we take in constant taking the uh, idea of all those information pieces, and bring those resources to them as much as possible, But we listen to them as well, and then we actually try to find out from their commanders, trying to get them involved. I go to UDM meetings, trying to find out they know the pulse of their people. I ask them questions like, "Hey, what are you hearing? Are you hearing anything? Rumors, bushfires? Let me know. I can help you. I said I can tailor this to our people as far as what we're needing. But if you don't say anything, I can't fix it if I know what's broken.
0: What uh, What do you hear mostly out of those uh, UDM meetings that you can share that that maybe uh, that comes up a lot?
3: The biggest thing is yellow ribbons, a joke in some cases, but those are the ones uh, that was when we had it before the regional concept, uh, when we used to have it in house, because it was always mandatory. Every time you deployed, they always had to go. So it was always the same stuff. Now that we made it optionals, more of a power than mandatory in this case, they kind of like it, but they can come back if they need to. Um, so what the, some of the information as far as what I get from the UDMs um, would be uh, life changes from their family. Um, what what can what can help my spouse out? Because usually the military member is covered no matter what, right. um, and if, of course if they're needing something. So, a lot of um, stress, um, PTSD, um, retirements. I think uh, buying houses, uh, finance. Uh, we we, oh, sure. we do we do have a financial counselor that we actually bring to this as well as one of the other benefits that they bring. We bring financial counselors just in case everybody has, has money, wants to do, wants more money. So we bring them there. However, with this, it's free of charge. Normally, if you go financial counselor outside of the base in the civilian world, they charge $750 an hour just to use their services while we give, give it to them for free.
0: So what, what made you choose this uh, line of work and here in the wing?
3: Uh, with this one, it, what, what piqued my interest was after I retired, um, kind of got out of the club, if you will, um, kind of missed it. Yeah. Uh, so was searched around to kind of get reconnected because I didn't realize what well, I lost until it's gone. Usually the standard kind of thing. Um, Fished around for a job and because um, I was told, hey, try retiring after 20 years, for like six months. A honey do list got done in like two days. So <laughs> I had to fix all that. So I was like, OK, I'm bored. I got to find something. Uh, so after a uh, small fail local job, decided to put my uh, resume out there, Indie.com, Got a call within two days after oh. I dropped it, um, and it was uh, Karen Stevens, former command chief Stevens from the 126th. Oh, nice. She happened to move on up. She was part of the wing. She retired, and she became part of the company. Um, talked to her for a little while. Sounded good. Asked her what it was about because I didn't know what an air wing integrator was on the title.
0: Oh, that's your title?
3: That was what it was before it changed the Yellow Ribbon Support Specialist. Oh, okay. So uh, so they work with the wing. Um, so once uh, she kind of told me what it was, I was like, okay. And uh, she goes, uh, you familiar with the Guard unit at the 120s? I'm like, yes, very familiar. I said, I used to work with the UDMs when I was uh, across the base on active duty. Also, as far as I was part of the, the Mighty 906th, um, before it before I got transferred over to headquarters AMC. So I did have some interaction with the wing. So when she said to come back over here, I was fine. Cause I knew i would be with a, a tight family. I know that the guard units, once they, you know, just it's back in the family kind of thing. That's kind of what I missed.
0: What made you, uh, you retired from, uh, from AMC after 22 years. What made you stay in the area?
3: um at family (laughs) that was the big thing you know when I retired I mean I know that we get one big last move once we go as far as what is they will move us anywhere of our choice so I asked the family kids were kind of still finishing up with school and the family seemed to like the four seasons that we get here and they wanted to stay I'm like are you sure (laughs) they're like yes I'm like done pulled the trigger and here we are
0: nice where are you from
3: uh California um lived in um, California boy since I was 15 and then uh Moved with, uh, separated from my father, lived with my mother, because they, they divorced early, so decided to move with my mother and my stepfather, who was Navy oh, at oh, the okay. time, um, and then grew up with them, uh, went from California, Mississippi, biggest culture shock of my life. Oh, I can imagine. I got introduced to humidity, foot moment, and <laughs> I got off the airplane, <laughs> which is interesting. They don't have that in California. Uh, yeah. And then we moved to Arkansas. He retired there, and that's kind of where I started my career, I finished high school there, and then joined the Air Force there and got stationed first base at Little Rock. In Arkansas, which was nice.
0: <laughs> oh, you wanted to do that?
3: It was, it was, it was they said, you never get what you ever, never get when you're wishless what you ask for. Right. So I asked for it and I got it.
0: Wow. What would you do in the Air Force?
3: Um, I was aircraft mechanic on C 130s, uh, RC 135s when I moved to Okinawa for five years. Uh, went back to C 130s after that. Uh, put in my package to be a military training instructor. Got accepted for that.
0: Wow. Did
3: that for four years. TI. Yes, sir.
0: How was that experience? What's that experience like?
3: Uh, fast pace, um, uh, very stressful. Um, is it really? But the reward is uh, the molding. Uh, when I was working on the aircraft maintenance, I used to teach mm-hmm. all of my subordinates how to do it. So the teaching act, the teaching thing came kind of naturally, showing them how to do that. So why not be the ultimate instructor and the ultimate teacher by doing that? So molding today's airmen was perfect. I mean, it was it was it. It paid off. So when you get to see them at their very worst, when they graduate, you get to see the best that we did, and then they come up and they want to thank me or shake my hand. I'm like, for what? I yelled at you. I took your hair and your clothes away. What for? And then you hear, well, you never gave up on me. Inspiring words from somebody like that is is, is hard to swallow. It was very humbling, though.
0: What's that, What's uh, what makes that uh, a TI job stressful?
3: Um, long hours. Um, mm. When you have uh, forty to sixty trainees come in. Everybody learns differently. Everybody's education is different. To get them all to beat the same, walk the same path at the same beat at the same time is difficult. So having to break down what they know and then rebuild to what we we want them to know is the hard thing. So it's the re, the deprogramming to reprogramming issue there. And then kind of by third or fourth week they kind of got it. You know, they really third they, or fourth week. If you if we've done it by the timeline, we they'll at least have to where they're self-reliant on themselves because we gave them structure, something they may never have. So we took away cell phones, so they don't use that. We allowed them not to run away because they can't. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, but they're, it's, they, they chose this, it's this what they wanted. And uh, we always remind them, it's like, remember, you asked for this. So, and then some of them either make it, which a lot of them do, some of them don't because they either bring emotional baggage Emotional luggage that which interferes. Um, uh, I work with the student flight here on uh, uh, the guard unit as well, and I always remind them to sit. I always tell them, like, you need to be selfish for you to get what you want to provide for somebody else. I said, by the time you're in base training, I said, think about you, leave all this home, take care of you. You can't take care of your, if you can't take care of yourself, how are you supposed to take care of somebody else?
0: What do you do? Uh, you mentioned the student flight. What do you do here for the, the student flight?
3: We kind of give them a crash course of what they're going to get within the, roughly the first 72 hours after arrival. Um, I know a few of uh, other former instructors here on this base, and I bring them along with me, so it's not just me. I'm a female instructor, two other male instructors, and then we just kind of put them through the ringer, if you will, um, showing the position of attention, what, is it, what it feels like to be kind of yelled at. when we have to raise our voice so they kind of get an idea what it feels like so by the time they get there they're kind of already tuned they know what's coming they just have to wait for it but we don't give them all the magic
0: tricks (laughs) yeah of course not
3: we give them a few because everyone's going to have to experience it on their own we can prep them as much as we can they still got to walk the path on their own to get through it
0: Uh, has that been uh, pretty successful for the student flight to uh, go through that
3: Yes, I've actually told most of them once they return to come back and give a testimony as far as what they learned from Student Flight, and all of it's good. And if, if there's something that they that didn't work for us, they tell us, and we can revamp the program. So it's always changing.
0: That's that's fantastic. I, I just I don't know. I mean, kind of always wanted to be uh, a TI, but just to just to have that to yell at people.
3: It, I'm sure uh, I would go to work stressed and be. Uh, I'd come home not stressed because all the yelling <laughs> was done the other day I was tired. <laughs> I mean, you don't always have to yell to be effective though. So
0: sure. Uh, you said there. So what's the training like for for a TI?
3: Uh, when I went through, it was 14 weeks. So it was seven weeks in house schooling. They teach you uh, how to teach by a certain format. Mm-hmm. But they don't teach you how to be an instructor. They teach you how to uh, yell properly by diaphragm, <laughs> just like singing. So they teach you diaphragms. seriously. Yell, Yes, yeah, So they would put us outside and have us bounce our voices off a wall, like a ball. So they'd have us yell. And if you did it right, it would come back. A lot of the people would use their throat and just blow their voice out completely. Sure. Um, so it'd be that, and they'd show us how to teach by a certain format, because th- we, we're the epitome of excellence. So we have to look at it and speak it the proper way. There's a certain format that we teach. I mean, teaching drill, there's all instructions, we're supposed to know it in our head. Right. So we have to know it verbatim, how to teach it effectively, how to make it look good, personalizing the story, if you will, to kind of relate to them, um, and then following up. Um, so we do schoolhouse training, and then the last seven weeks, like I said, this is back when I went through from 2006 to 2010 when I was down there. Um, they, the last seven weeks, we would actually push a brand-new flight from start to finish, and then when they graduate, so would we. We would have a regular a, a cap on, okay. and then we'd get that campaign hat upon graduation, and then we'd march down the bomb run with them leading them.
0: Wow, that's uh, that's got to be something. Yes, you must have a lot of good stories too.
3: There's a few. Yeah. It's interesting. To, you know, a lot of ones I look back on and still laugh to this day. A lot of them I look back on and just look at the success stories. You know, I've had right. one. I had one trainee that came through that had nothing to. He had everything to gain, nothing to lose, because he was homeless. Wow. He had nothing and everything to gain. He turned to be one of my best best trainees, one of my best airmen, who then crossed over to be an Army Ranger in the Army.
0: Wow! So he
3: went from blue to green and became top dog. So he had he excelled from day one.
0: That's amazing. How was your experience? Uh, the twenty-two years in the Air Force and uh, your your time as a TI. How was that uh, informed your uh, your application? Your work in the Yellow Ribbon Program.
3: It kind of helped me uh, establish. Um, uh, not to be afraid of talking in front of people, uh, not to uh, not to be uh, help personalize me to engage with people in a public a big forum, so I can get out there, get the information, speak clearly, and communicate what needs to be done. That kind of helped. So that was a big bonus because I don't have to worry about being the shy kid in the back corner. Yeah. I can actually speak, get it out there. And at the same time, still karate corri- and get the get the information to the people as well. So it kind of helped.
0: Yeah, and I would imagine because it. it you know you talked about it you you start to care for the kids that are going through uh correct for, it's through your flight in and my in bmt
3: yeah in my time it, it was like raising kids at the time when it was an eight-week program it was like raising kids in eight weeks there was a connection because it was i couldn't i could not use that same format at home it didn't work they looked at me funny walked away there uh, there was results there was effectiveness but it was i did get attached to some of them why because i want to see them succeed our job as an instructor is not to fail them is to pass them because one day they're gonna replace us. We're teaching replacements. So we're, we're filling the need for the Air Force. But at the same time, like I said, it's, it's like raising kids in eight weeks. So there is some attachment to it.
0: But uh, just to, so they so they basically, t- you're, you learn or they teach you that in three or four weeks, you should see this, you're looking for certain uh, benchmarks?
3: Yes, at least by, by the third or fourth week, they've pretty much, they looked the part they're into a routine, whereas, you know, they shower every night, make their beds, they eat a certain way, you know, the, the dorm has to be set up. Um, they know not to talk in the hallway when they'll have to go downstairs and do it from the dorm to whatever academic class they're going to. But they learn from each other as well. They learn to work as a team. I mean, I've pushed males and female flights, and as far as they work the same as far as once they kind of get the idea how it works.
0: Any more thoughts on uh, the Yellow pr- uh, Ribbon program and, and something that y- you want folks uh, to know about this?
3: Um, as far as the program itself, it's, uh, it's, don't listen to the people that have done it in the past. I mean, unless they've known it, if you've never if you're a first timer, check it out, um, at least because I mean it's already paid for once we, you've realized that you're going to go. Get the information that you need. Everyone, uh, everyone deploys. You may need something different from what your supervisor is telling you. You know, um, I've heard of a lot of negativity from prior people that's been here forever and been there and done that kind of thing. Sometimes they will put a negative, uh, negative comment on the program itself. It does benefit everybody. Um, you just got to find what fits for you. Um, so it's it it's good to go check it out because you have nothing to lose and everything to gain.
0: No kidding. And and you might get a you get to go to a different place to uh, to. You, know,
3: you might find a way that you, it's like, hey, I'm, I'm wanting to look to make some more money finance. Hey, I might look to buy a new house. We bring VA out there. So it's there's always something for, for everybody.
0: This is, well, yeah, I just want to talk about my experience. Uh, how, how is the yellow ribbon program in the guard different than what happens in, uh, in active service? Because I've deployed two or three times in the uh in the army active army and it was just like okay congratulations for coming back here's your leave see you in two weeks
3: active duty doesn't have this program this is just for the garden and reserve in and the army as well it's for the the reserve services the active duty doesn't have this program to where they do this because we since we're active duty we can hit these resources at any given time if you're a traditional you only come to the base once a weekend for your training you don't get the opportunities to get these benefits until you come on orders. duty is always on orders. They're always activated, so they have access to these resources already because they're already going to be in that status. Most of the traditionals don't get that status until they're activated or mobilized. Then they get the benefits six months prior to them moving then they can actually resort get those resources as well. So they won't, it doesn't, so they actually doesn't even have this component. That's one of the reasons why I take it, I'm passionate about it, because I was actually doing it, and I didn't get a chance to see this. I'm like, this would be great. Yeah. Have everybody in one room, it's like, oh, it's almost like a, a really, de- de- a, a really good deployment mobilization line, if you will. Right. So it's almost like going to the line, hitting everyone. But by the time you do, like, if they still have the deployment line here, you hit all the markers already. In active duty, you're like, um, I wouldn't even know where to go, and of right. course, you would rely. If you're going to rely on, sometimes your supervisor, they may not even know. But active duty doesn't even have this program.
0: All right, that's uh, Daniel Cooper. He's uh, been our guest here on uh, the podcast. Uh, thank you, Daniel, for uh, coming in, Mister Daniel Cooper is the Yellow Ribbon Support Specialist. I'm sure you'll see him around the wing. Thanks for having me, sir Allison.
1: With your look around the Air Force, I'm Staff Sergeant Britt Crowley. Secretary of the Air Force Barbara Barrett said farewell to the Air and Space Forces during a ceremony in her honor at Joint Base Anacostia-Bolling, Washington.
0: I leave confident that the United States of America is safe and secure from all enemies, foreign and domestic, because of you, the brave men and women who stand the watch, who guard the perimeter, who ensure free and open access to space, and defend democracy from above.
1: During her 15 months as the Air Force's highest-ranking civilian leader, Barrett led several critical initiatives, including the birth of the Space Force, addressing racial inequality, and guiding the service during the COVID-19 pandemic. Redstone Arsenal in Huntsville, Alabama, is the preferred location for U.S. Space Command headquarters. The Secretary of the Air Force made the selection on behalf of the Office of the Secretary of Defense. Redstone Arsenal, along with five alternate locations, were chosen based on factors related to the mission, infrastructure capacity, community support, and cost to the Department of Defense. The Air Force plans to make a final decision on the location by Spring 2023, pending the results from a required environmental impact analysis. U.S. Space Command headquarters will remain in Colorado Springs, Colorado until the finalized location is prepared to support the mission. There is a new core career field coming online for Air Force officers in the spring. The Foreign Area Officer program will no longer be a secondary career field. Officers can voluntarily transfer into the Foreign Area Officer program. The program organizes and trains select officers to be language-enabled, culturally astute, and operationally relevant regional experts. They engage with foreign military leaders and government officials. The change is part of the Air Force's reorientation toward great power competition. And that's your look around the Air Force. Colonel Jackson, the wing commander,
0: is asking us all to take the climate survey no later than February 21st. This gives you the opportunity to let the commander know about any work issues that concern you the most. The survey is voluntary. You can find that link for the climate survey in your military email. MilTax from Military OneSource includes free, easy-to-use tax preparation and e-filing software designed for situations common to service members and their families. The suite of services include MilTax consultants who can answer your questions and advise you on military-specific tax requirements and deductions. The physical fitness assessments, don't forget about those, they will resume in April and will no longer include the waist measurement component. While the waist measurement is permanently removed from the assessment, height and weight measurement will resume October 21st. You can find all of our links to our webpage and Facebook at linktr.ee forward slash 126ARW. If you're watching on Facebook, don't forget, you can also download this on your favorite podcast app. If you want to pass along some information, you can email roll Call at 126.arw.pa.mm.org at us.af.mil. Thanks for listening to Roll Call, a 126th Air Refueling Wing podcast focused on people, mission, and community. I'm Tech Sergeant Brian Ellison.